Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is our last sermon in the series, um, uh, Why Church Matters. If you've been here for the last four weeks, this is the last sermon in the series. But we're finishing it off next week with this uh, unique week where we're going to introduce our new community group leaders for the year, which which, uh, Jen was just talking about, uh, our pastoral council transitions, our our addition of a deacon board, which we, we, we've needed to do, and our high school ministry, which is called Hot Takes, if I'm not ma- mistaken. I did not pick that name. That was Sam back there and, and the kids that picked that. Um, and uh, we'll also be getting some directional information about uh, where we're headed with kingdom opportunities for the year, and, and we're going to do some prayer training. So, Jen, you're going you're gonna to be safe because we're going to do some prayer training in the service for uh, Bryn Mawr days, just to get ourselves ready, and we're going to talk about what that means and all that kind of stuff. So it's not necessarily going to be a sermon next week. Thank God you don't have to listen to me for another week, uh, but we're going to do all that in the, in the service, so I'm excited about that. Um, last week, though, you remember that we began with a challenge to commit to memory the Great Commission, right, uh, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, Jesus' last command, our first concern, and I want to begin today again with reciting that together. But if if I know that you've all been faithful, you all wrote it down on a card, you've got it, you know, in your bathroom on the mirror or in your car on the dashboard, or whatever. I know you're all memorizing these verses, so uh, I want to begin today by reciting those together. So uh, let's do this out loud. All right, one, two, three. Then Jesus came. To them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Right. Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20. So, uh, Continue to do that. Get that into your, into your brain. Commit that to memory. And I think, I think God will bless you for that. We've seen in this series that church matters, firstly, because it represents Jesus. That was our first week. Secondly, that it's a community on mission. That was uh, the second week. And it's uh, also a king, it's God's kingdom tool in this mission, right? That was the third week. And today I just want to say to you that if church matters, then 6-8 as a local church matters. And if 6-8 as a local church matters, you are 6-8. So you matter, right? All of us, every, every single individual in this room and everybody that's on vacation today all matter, right? So let's begin today by looking at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And I, wanna, I want you to just notice how God guided, the Holy Spirit guided Paul and his companions in their sort of evangelical church planting efforts as they're going around about life. Uh, it says, starting in verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the, the region of Phrygia. Now, if anybody wants to argue how I say that, you certainly can. Send me the little audio thing about how you pronounce a word, because two of you did that from last week. And Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in province of Asia. By the way, I do appreciate that. It's not a bad thing. Uh, when they came to the border of Mysia, and I looked that up, because I wasn't sure... They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to, I don't know, 
Troas, Tros, whatever you want. I, let's just pick one, right? Troas, I'm going to say. Uh, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, I'm kidding, Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had, after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave to Macedonia, for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, right? It's a really cool and interesting passage. Now, I, I want to do a little story time with you, a little bit about my life and a little bit about us as a church. Uh, go back with me f- like 15 years, right, uh, into the past, in, in two, into 2004, right? Think about what you were doing in 2004, right? Uh, where, were you in school? Were, were you getting married? Were you just having your first kid? Were you starting a new career? Uh, where were you living? And how did you get here today from there, right? What happened? What were the, the circumstances of your life that brought you to this room today, right? What led you here? And ask yourself the question, were they just circumstances, right? Or was it something else? Was something else deeper going on in your life? And are you here for a reason? Are you here for a purpose? Right? That's the big question. In 2004, I was living on the island of Sumatra in Lampung, Indonesia. Annie, it's good to have you back. It's Annie, right? Yes, amen. We were praying for Annie because she was stuck in India, right? Amen. I'm glad to have you back. I don't even know you yet, but I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> anyway, but, but in 2004, I, I said that because Annie lived in Indonesia for a while, so she, she came to mind. Sorry, that is my ADHD. I am really, I apologize. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I was on the island of Sumatra and, and in Lampung, Indonesia, and at the very end of that, that year, on December 26th, if you remember, some of you remember, the day after Christmas, there was the most devastating tsunami ever recorded in the history of mankind, I think, and that happened in northern Sumatra. Now, Lampung is at the southern end, so we felt the earthquake, but we didn't get the wave, right? And within five days, I was headed northwest to Aceh which is the northern tip of Sumatra, and, and, and it was the center of the damage. It was, it was incredible. Uh, and it was a place that a week earlier uh, had been closed to Christians and closed to all foreigners due to Islamic extremism in the area. So a foreigner could, could go anywhere in Indonesia they like, you know, Bali or, or, or Sulawesi or any, any place, right, um, before this, before this week, but they couldn't go to Aceh. It was a closed province due to this stuff, right? It was dangerous, actually, for, for me as a foreigner to go there. But now, because of the tsunami, it was wide open. Everybody was flooding up there, right? And we spent our first few nights there kind of bouncing around, sleeping wherever we could, bouncing around on the ground uh, in earthquakes, you know, as they continued in our sleeping bags and trying to figure out, you know, how, what we could do to help. And we began our journey by uh, hiring some drivers, and we, we drove south, uh, kind of assessing the damage along the coast, disregarding the warnings uh, of military personnel along the way. They had these little posts, and they would say, don't you, you're not supposed to be out here. You're going to get kidnapped. And we'd be like, eh, whatever, you know. And, and my, I think there's a picture, uh, maybe it's not up there yet, but you'll see a picture of my friend sitting there between two, two guards, and <laughs> we would stop and talk to him and have fun. But anyway. I digress. Um, but 
we, and, and we prayed as we went along, right? We just prayed and we were, we were asking God for di- direction and we felt very strongly after a while that south was not the, the region that we should go. But, so we went north, just north of the city a little bit and we finally settled on an area that we could begin to help rebuild. And we set up shop and we began to bring in Indonesian Christian church planters to do the work alongside of us and all that stuff. And we got tools and we shipped a backhoe, a brand new backhoe up from J- Jakarta to, be- to begin dig- to dig out bodies and to, uh, to clear the land of debris so that the Achenese could get back to like a normal life, you know. And some Indonesian Christians from all across the country, a lot of them actually, you know, felt called at that moment by the Spirit of God to move their whole lives to Aceh. Right? Just to pick up everything and move to Aceh. Now that's, that's the equivalent, you know, maybe of you moving from Philadelphia to LA or Philadelphia to Hawaii and possibly with the, in a heartbeat, like overnight, right? And with the possible, uh, you might never return home. You might, you might never get back to your hometown. You know, because they were so far away and travel was difficult for them and all that kind of stuff. It was a hostile place for them, right? You know, uh, a week before, they could not have entered it. And, and they came with this heart to rebuild and provide aid. And then they stayed on living there to, uh, to lead Muslims to Christ and to build the Achenese church. And as far as I know, many of them are still there to this day. And that event was the capstone of our time in Indonesia, right? Uh, we would return home immediately after this work in Aceh. Um, it was evident that before this, even before we left, that our time in, in Lampung was already coming to an end. The work I had begun there and, and had been doing there in Lampung could not be sustained by a, by a foreigner, by a, a Western guy, right? I had to hand it off, right? Um, now, go, go back even seven years before this, when I first arrived into Lampung, um, I had showed up in Lampung not knowing a soul, right? It was just me and my wife and my kids. And the city in which I lived was filled with Javanese transmigrants from the island of Java, the neighboring island. However, my specific call uh, was to reach Lampung Muslims, Lampungese Muslims, right? It was a group of about two and a half million Muslims. And uh, that is something that God had called me to way back here in America, you know, I had, I, had, I had had that call to go reach the Lampungese. It was a people group known for being closed off. It was a people group known for being hostile towards Christianity and Christians and, and very difficult to reach. People that carried little swords called kris in their, their, you know, their sides, you know, some of them, and they would, you said the wrong thing, you might get a knife in the gut, that kind of thing. They were, they were somewhat hostile. I mean, they were, I mean, there were groups that were really nice. They were really nice people, but that was the, the, the rhetoric going on about them, right? But they were difficult to reach. And I prayed God would give me, at that moment when I first arrived in Lampung, God would give me a man of peace, someone who would open the doors into the Lampungese community because I couldn't just like waltz out into the, the countryside and walk into a village. It would be strange. So I needed somebody to introduce me and bring me in, right? And one day I was invited in, my, in the city there, Bandar Lampung, and I was in, in the city and I, somebody invited me to a wedding. And so I, I went hoping to meet a Lampungese person. But everybody at this wedding was Javanese. 
And as I sat talking with one man, I was feeling very discouraged about this. But God said, tell him what you want. His name was Harry, right? And he, God said, tell him what you want. Sorry. <laughs> um, I love that guy, man. We, we, we became very good friends. Um, so I said to Harry, I said, uh, I'm, I've been living here in, here in Lampung for quite a while, and I have yet to meet a Lampungese person. I'd love to meet a, a, a genuine Lampungese person. And he said, well, I'm not Lampungese. And I thought, God, why? You know, like, what good was that? Where did that get me? But then Harry continued, and he said, but my wife is. She's, she's Asli Lampung. She's original Lampung. And, and as a matter of fact, she is the sister of a sultan, and I could take you out to the village if you'd like to go. And I'm like, yeah, right? And this began a relationship with a set of seven villages over the next, I don't know how many years, right? My whole time there, all governed by this one sultan that I got to know very well, who eventually adopted me as his eighth son, and he renamed me and retitled me uh, Raden Ankonan. Raden was the title. Ankonan means adopted in Lampungese. So I was the adopted Raden, right? And uh, I want to put that on my license plate someday, but... It was a title that was four levels below the sultan, so I could sit with all the men of the village and make decisions with them. And we became very close. And during these years, I I also gathered other Indonesian Christians from around the country who felt called by the Spirit of God to come and join us in this work of reaching Lampungese Muslims. And we'd set them up in little teams all around the province doing different things and, and sharing the gospel and working with people in medical work and, you know, whatever, digging wells and all this kind of these different things. And they moved themselves you know, to the province from all over the country and, and we set up, set up all these teams and we, we had all this work going on and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and they, would, they would be there to not only share the gospel but, you know, improve life for Lampungese Muslims and all this stuff. So we formed what, what, uh, what was uh, an Indonesian church planting work called Waimios. And Waimios means living water in Bahasa Lampung. In the, in the language of Lampungese. And that work, work progressed so far that it was evident, as I said, that I needed to replace myself as the head of the organization. I couldn't take it farther. And it needed to be under indigenous lead. So during my time in Aceh, when I was up there at the end of, uh, of my stint in Indonesia, the Spirit of God brought together all the people necessary for that to happen back in Lompok. I was getting texts and phone calls about, you know, you know different people that were coming to, to work with us in, in Lompok. And, and that included an Indonesian director who would replace me. And it became evident that God was calling me back here to America. But to what? I thought I was going to, like, die in Indonesia, right? What, what would I go back to? You know, driving a truck? I had no idea what I would do, right? And I remember... Sitting on my roof in Lampung, we had a big flat roof where you did your laundry and stuff, and I would sit up there and burn trash because I had to burn all my documents. You know, we were all clandestine and everything. It's kind of cool. felt like I was in the CIA or something. Some people thought I was in the CIA, by the way. But um, I remember sitting up there on my roof, and I was back for this short stint from Aceh, and I prayed that 
you know, what, what did God want for my life? What was my next step? What, what did he want me to do next, right? And I felt very strongly, it was just an impression that I got, that I wasn't just to come back and join the workforce. Not that that's a bad thing, but that he had something different for me. That God wanted me to continue in church planting work back here in America. That, God, that the Spirit was calling me to plant a church here on the main line, right? And there were churches all over this all over the main line. Obviously, we chuck a rock and we can hit a few of them from here, right? But none of which a guy like me at the time would feel comfortable walking into. If you haven't noticed, I'm a little unorthodox in the way I look. I, I went to art school. You know, I, I wasn't a suit and tie guy, right? Not that that's a bad thing, but I just wasn't. And um, I came home uh, not knowing at all how to do that let alone how to begin it, right? And I floundered for a year or so making plans on paper. I wrote all of my plans out, but I didn't know at all how to begin this. And, and, and I didn't know where to go to recruit people for that work. All my friends that I thought I could recruit were all like, they had like three or four kids and they were locked in. They weren't going anywhere, right? And I was discouraged. I was very discouraged. And all I could do, again, was pray for direction. You're noticing a theme here, right? And then one, one day, two pastors from Church of the Savior in Wayne called me up and they wanted to me to meet and meet with them and talk. And, and they, had, they had no idea of my plans. I had not talked to them about this. And I had, they had no idea why, and I had no idea why we were meeting. Uh, I didn't know what they wanted. And we sat in the Great American Pub in Wayne, uh, if you remember that place. And, and they told me that they felt through their prayer times that the Holy Spirit was telling them that I was supposed to plant a church on the main line, right? And that that they wanted me to come and to pastor for two years at Church of the Savior in order to build a team to be able to do that. They were hearing the same call I did, right? Although we had never, ever talked about it. I I don't even think I had talked to anybody else about it other than people that were very disconnected from them. They wouldn't have known them. And I opened my computer, and I showed them my plans. And that's how 6-8 began. That's how 6-8 began. God calling people, God directing here and there, just as he did back in Aceh, just as he did back in Lampung, right? And he's been faithful over the years to direct us as we move forward. We're not alone in this, in other words, right? Let's listen to this passage again. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is how God works. This is how God works. The question is, are we listening? Right? He works through his people. He works through dreams. He works through visions. He works through impressions. He's interactive. Right? He's calling. He didn't just write a book and leave us to life, right? 
He expects something of us in this work. Even though we may not feel a specific call to a specific place or a specific people, he still expects us to be about this work. Now remember, Dallas Willard said, and this is something we have to remind ourselves of, that God's not against effort. It's not against me trying to work for his kingdom. He's only against earning, me trying to earn my place with him. I already have that in the gospel, right? We don't earn our salvation by how well we do what God expects us to do, right? But he does expect and he even commands our obedience in this task of kingdom building as a result of his grace. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He commands us. Paul and his companions didn't just sit around wondering what to do. They knew the what. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? And teaching them to, commi- to obey everything that I have commanded you. They knew the why. It was for God's glory through God's mission. They knew that. They knew that they were within God's will in doing so, doing all this work, and were assured of Christ being with them in it as Christ promised, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. They knew all that. And sometimes they were called to a specific place and a specific people. And as we see, the Spirit of God is faithful to lead despite our confusion and despite our discouragement at times. Sometimes it's not so clear, right? And theirs was an interactive life, faith-filled life, with the ups and downs, the joys and the dangers, the confusion and the clarity, and the tension and the peace of kingdom building as they went about it. I'm glad I have some stories. I'm glad glad I had friends that said, let's drive down there. Who cares if we get kidnapped, (laughs) right? Those are cool stories. That's fun. We don't know why the Holy Spirit held them back from certain areas. Perhaps the time wasn't ripe for that area, right? We don't know specifically in all these instances how he directed them through direct revelation or circumstance or impression or what. We we do know the one vision that Paul had, you know, but although we know very little of it, just a guy saying, come over here and help us from Macedonia, right? We do know... They did the work of the kingdom build, of kingdom building while following the Spirit's lead. We, we know their central purpose in life was to preach the gospel in, in areas that they had been led. And this is how the kingdom is spread, both in Paul's day and even today. Following God's lead, being obedient to his commands. Remember, a few weeks back, we quoted Charles Spurgeon who said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, right? I love that quote. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And Jesus said in, in John twenty twenty one, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, right? He modeled all this for us and then he handed it off to us to do the same things. And we've heard in past sermons how he prayed for us in this endeavor, us specifically, and he commissioned us and even commanded us to do it, 
right? So we've got all that. We've got all that. J. Herbert Cain, missiologist, professor, blah, 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 guy you might not know. I I didn't know him until I read the quote, uh, said, the term missionary call should never have been coined, (laughs) right? He says it's not scriptural and therefore can be harmful. Uh, Thousands of youth desiring to serve the Lord have waited and waited for some mysterious missional call that never came. After a time, they became weary of waiting and gave up on the idea of going to the mission field, uh, field at all, right? And that mission, mysterious missionary call that uh, Herbert Cain talks about is arguably the most misunderstood term when talking about the Great Commission, right? And there are five common myths that have been brought up concerning the missionary call and, and what I would say is Jesus' Great Commission call to his church, right? Not just missions, because we confuse missions sometimes as only overseas missions, right? We're all on mission, right? Myth number one, the call happens at a definitive, memorable moment in time, right? The call happens at a definitive, memorable moment in time. You know, some some people can name the time and the place that they, they knew God was calling them to be a missionary. Maybe that does happen in some certain instances. For people like me, though, it was a variety of circumstances. It was exposure to cross-cultural ministry via short-term opportunities from my church. It was people in life who had this, who were passionate about God's heart for the peoples of the world, the nations of the world, and, and they exuded that passion to me. They, they led me in it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was it a, a very clear, decisive moment for me? No. Was it clear to me over the course of time that God was leading me to work among Muslims in Lampung or to church planting on the main line? Yeah, it was. But it developed over time as I explored God's word and and heard stories about what he was doing in the world. You know, that time on my roof was not just that one instance, right? It was, there was a lot going on that led up to that where God was speaking to me here and there and here and there, right? But, you know, the call's right here, and the call is over there as well. When I was called to Indonesia, I went. When I was called to church plant here on the main line, I went. The gospel is needed everywhere, and we often grow into understanding that, that which God calls us to specifically as we go about kingdom work. And by the way, America is... <laughs> There's a growing mission field, you know. More and more people are not claiming Christ in America, right? So it is a growing mission field. Myth number two, the call is only for those who are specially gifted or specifically gifted, right? You know, some, some, some feel being a missionary is only for those who are super spiritual, who, who are endowed with some special gifting. You might even feel like, you know, you don't have all the special stuff just to tell your neighbor about Jesus, let alone go someplace else in the world, right? But anybody involved in missions or I would say uh, just kingdom ministry in general, just being about telling your neighbor about Jesus, right, will be the first to admit that we feel 
the least capable of anybody, but, you know, to bringing the light of the gospel to people's lives. I don't feel very, you know, overly confident in that. But isn't that the attitude that we should have? Second Corinthians 4, 7 reminds us, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. It's a matter of faith. Amen to that, right? How often have I felt inadequate in ministry, standing either in front of a Muslim sultan in Lampung, Indonesia, or in front of an intellectual atheist on the main line? There's not much difference in challenge. It's, it's not about me. It's not about who I'm standing in front of necessarily, but it's rather about the call of Christ and it's about the leading of the Spirit and my reliance on Him and His glory among all nations, all peoples. It's about my obedience in the call. Myth number three, I can only take steps into missions once I'm called, right? The best test of whether God's specifically calling you or or, or not, uh, is to start to take steps, start to live this, start to do it. Better said, we live in this mission field right here, right? If anywhere, he has called us to those right around us, right in front of us. A more specific call may come upon your life. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. It may be a series of confirmations, you know, that, that it comes as opposed to a specific event. It may come, it may not, but we're still called to the people right around us. For instance, there was a young guy named Blaine who always had this heart for Japan. You know, I have certain friends that just have certain heart for certain places and certain kinds of people like, you know, ethnic groups or whatever. And, and they don't understand where that really comes from. Um, he didn't he didn't know where it came from right and he claims that it had always been there and recently he knew it was time to step out and start to explore what serving in japan would look like right and it was a struggle at first you know like was god really calling him to this after all right he never had like this feeling of a specific call but he pushed forward and, and, you know, in taking those initial steps into what he was going to do, and, and he's now headed to Japan for a three-month stint um, you know, under these career missionaries who are going to coach him, and, and he's looking towards long-term service. Is God really calling him there? But he's taking the steps to figure that out. God's call may or may not be that specific to you, but we're all called to be kingdom-building with those people that are right around us. We are, Right? Number four, myth number four, a missionary call is completely irrelevant to become a missionary, right? Now, maybe we could say cross-cultural missionary. Throughout Scripture, God moves people to, now this may sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm not. Throughout Scripture, God's, God moves people to accomplish his purposes in the world. Right? We see that over and over as we read the scripture. The church only moves forward when God's working and God calls people to do great things for him. William Carey, if you've never heard the quote, said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Right? That's true. And sometimes during that attempt, during your, 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 your attempts to go out and do the work of God, God will give you a more specific call that he desires for you. Maybe. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit specifically sets apart Saul and Barnabas for the work, it says, for the work which I have called them to, right? 
Notice how God didn't call the whole church, the entire church of Antioch to go, right? Scripture said that there were several teachers, there were several prophets gathered there at that church, but only these two were specifically called to go. The church instead sent and supported those two who were called, right? They got behind them. They did something about it. So the call of God confirms the moving of God, right? And if God's moving, he will be with those he calls to the very end of the age. We know that. Myth number five, the Great Commission only applies to those whom God has called. The Great Commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20 applies to everyone. I've said that over and over again, and I'll keep saying it, right? It it, it applies to all believers in the world. Anybody who's a Christ follower, it applies to them. We're not all called to go cross-culturally to some foreign place necessarily, but we are called to be involved in making disciples of all nations at some level. Now, locally, that means, you know, crossing the street, crossing the office, Crossing the coffee shop to share the love of Jesus with somebody that needs it, right? It means engaging in our kingdom opportunities as a church. You know, like Bryn Mawr Day that's coming up on September 7th. We just had an outdoor movie night with Saba in Normandy Park last night. These are opportunities for us to get around people and share Jesus, both in word and deed with them, right? It means actually viewing our neighbors and coworkers and family and friends as those who do need Jesus. There's nothing arrogant about that. There's nothing arrogant about that. It means praying for them, both you know, privately and then also praying for them openly and engaging them with the message of Christ. Globally, that means you know, in praying and supporting those who go. We just had our... our prayer meeting for for the nations this morning we do that twice a month in this room off to the side at 8 30 before church starts right and 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 we 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 pray for and we support those who go as we've committed as a church uh ourselves to work in syria lebanon and morocco and we've also uh worked in sending other missionaries out we've also worked in indonesia at different times you know some of those might become more ongoing efforts but right now our ongoing efforts are syria lebanon and morocco Now, not going does not mean not doing, right? God's mission is bigger than just going overseas. So we don't just send somebody over there and then we're absolved and we just kind of like enjoy life, right? Each one of us has a sphere of influence in which God has placed us in. We have relationships. In some cases, we're the only light that people see. It's a pretty dark world out there if you haven't noticed. And sometimes we're the only light that people see. Each one of us has people we know who are being sent as well, right? Who, who need our prayers, who need our finances to reach the unreached in, in other places. And all of us have people right around us who need the gospel. That's obvious. So are we being faithful to God's uh, asking us to do kingdom work among the nations, starting here and going out there? As John Piper puts it, there are three kinds of Christians when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. <laughs> Piper has a little bit of an edge to him, right? Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. The edge doesn't make it untrue. Which one are you? Which one am I? I don't feel like I'm perfect in this. 
Perhaps these myths and these misconceptions on calling have been created by the enemy to keep believers from being truly mobilized to God's mission for God's glory. Imagine the work which could be done if all Christians everywhere took on the mantle of the Great Commission, right, and, and, and just carried it around, you know, discovered their role and zealously fu- fulfilled it. What a difference it would mean. So I ask you again, how did you come to be here today? How did you come to be here today? What led you here? Because you could go through your whole life and never pay attention to God's leading. He wants to lead you, right? Was it just circumstances or is there something else going on? Are you here for a reason? Are you here for a purpose? And I I don't mean that just for the adult. Some of you are high school kids. God bless you. You have work to do, right? You have a place to fit. You have an influence in your schools. Some of them are college. Some of you are college students. You have a place for, for the gospel in your schools, right? What would keep you from engaging in God's mission? What keeps you from that? Insecurity, fear, doubt, What is it? Pray about that. Get other people to pray for you about that. Ask God to open your eyes and your heart to understanding of that, right? Read Scripture and see how many imperfect people, how many stumbling oafs are there in the Bible where God called to do extraordinary things, right? Our missionary calling, and I mean missionary in the sense of the holistic sense of right here and over there, right? Our missionary calling is not something God wants to keep secret from us. He desires each of us to to reach the lost with the gospel, right? And bring the saving message of Christ to the ends of the earth. Sometimes that's a general call that we all engage in, no matter what, right? And at others, it becomes more specific where we gather our resources and we send somebody out to, pl- the, to, the, to a place that the Spirit has put on their heart to go and reach with the gospel. God is using His church. That's what He's decided to do <laughs> for some strange reason. He's decided to use His church. It's very relational. We don't sit around waiting for a call, right? We have that call already, all of us, every single one of us. And sometimes that call becomes, as I said, very specific for certain people to go to certain places or certain people groups. But specific or not, God will direct and lead us in our efforts. He always does. So I say one more time as we end, church matters. And if church matters... This local church, 6-8, matters in the kingdom of God. And if this local church, 6-8, matters, then you matter. You matter in that whole endeavor. You matter to the people around you. You matter to how you're discipling others in this church. You matter how you're bringing the light of Christ to other people right around you. Now, let me just say, and you guys all know my heart, I'm not advocating for you to become the Bible-thumping jerk, right? 
We, we follow those principles where we love people well. We, we ask the Spirit to lead us into conversations. We don't just break through the doors like a bull in a china closet. We actually l- listen to the Spirit's lead. And when you listen to the Spirit's lead, conversations actually come about pretty easily. Right? So be praying for people. Be thinking about it. Be engaging with it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are here. We've been saying, as my wife has said, the same thing (laughs) for weeks. But that's important. It's important because you said it over and over again to us. You said it over and over again to the disciples. And as you said it to them, you said it to us. We want your kingdom to flood the eastern mainland area. We want your kingdom to just explode in this place. We don't want just a little bit of movement. We're glad for a little movement. But we want a breakthrough, Father God. We want to see people find freedom in Christ. We want to see characters built up into who you are for people to find out who they are in Christ, for their, them to be changing and transforming into people that are loving and caring and just and good, solid people. So we pray that you would give us opportunity, that you would bring it to the forefront of our minds, that your last command would seriously become our first concern. And we thank you for that. Thank you.